Well, the last few weeks, um, you, we've been in the beginning of the book of Acts, and uh, if you get the sense that or feeling that, wow, um, Pastor Nigel's uh, spending quite a bit of time here in these first couple of chapters, well, I am, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's true. Because I've been asking a question in these, in, these first, in these first couple of chapters here. First of all, you know, that God in this, and it shows us very clearly that he gives us, through the Holy Spirit, the power to witness, the power to tell our story, the power to share Christ. And as, as Laura shared this morning, you know, having a garage sale and then there's a scripture on the wall that people are, are looking at as they come in. The word will not return void. And just offering a telephone number, a call me, an invitation to church, um, it, it, there's a sense of uh, I've, I, I want to do this because God is what he's done in me, and, uh, but I also need to be empowered to do it because I feel so weak and inadequate. Um, and, and I asked the question uh, back on the 17th, uh, are you... Are you, do you see yourself as an ad, advocate for Christ or a witness for Christ? Now remember, an advocate is somebody that advocates for somebody. I mean, they can, you, we, in other words, for Christ, I can speak up about Christ. I, I, I know my Bible. I know my verses. I, I heard about Jesus. I went to Sunday school class. And, and so I can vouch for him. But a witness for Christ is someone who Christ has impacted and changed and brought out of a, maybe a lifestyle that was rough, um, depression, uh, lack of hope. And you know that, that he's done something miraculous in your life. And so when you speak up for him, you're a witness of the very thing that he's done in you. And that's a lot more powerful witness than one who's simply an advocate and then uh, last week, well, I did ask on Mother's Day, I, we did look at the perspective of this whole scene of Christ's resurrection and his off going into heaven and then telling them to wait in Jerusalem until you've received this power, to look at it on Mother's Day from the mother of Jesus, from Mary's perspective. So we had that little view. And then last week... Um, with, with our own family here, my son and their children, their grandchildren and his wife. Um, what will you tell your children? What will be your story about your relationship with Christ? What will you tell your children? And today I wanted us to kind of, just before we finish out chapter 2, I want you to, I want to ask a question. With all that in mind... Will you tell your story? Are you going to be willing to tell your story? That's the question for you this morning. Will you tell your story? And you say, well, you might say, well, I want to tell my story. I'd like to tell my story, but I'm a little hesitant. Well, I'm hoping that you can be encouraged today that at the end of the service, and we have some fellowship in the fellowship hall, you'll be greatly encouraged just by one another and just be hanging around one another to go out and share the story of Jesus as a witness because of what he's done in your life.
as you look in chapter 2 and you get to where uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon all the disciples, they've, there's a claim that these fellows must be drunk because they were speaking in all various languages for all other nations to understand them. And it, we're going to look, start here in verse 14, where Peter stands up and begins to teach this, what's going on. He's, he's going to tell everyone that's concerned. They've heard this noise that says like a violent wind. There wasn't, it wasn't a wind. It wasn't like it's been here in Minot, we know, where the wind's been blowing. It wasn't like that. It was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then just imagine sitting in this room with 120 people and then tongues of fire come down on each, each person's head. I mean, we're talking something very strange. And, um, and so they're saying, what is going on here? And then Peter stands up and, um, and then a little bit later after we look at this story here, we're going to look at Peter a little bit later as he writes a letter, his, a couple of letters that we have in the, in the New Testament. But let's look at verse 14, chapter 2. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, he raised his voice and he said to them, Now, I need to stop here. There's something unique here about him standing up. You know, when, when the Jewish rabbis would teach, they sat. And here is the instance now, all of a sudden, they're asking him, what's going on here? And he stands to teach. And that's why, that's why in, 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 in the later years, that's why you see the preacher, like myself, standing up, not sitting down. This, this is where this comes from. He stood up. He said, now I'm going to tell you something here. And, he, and he's got a, he's, he raises his voice because he wants everyone to hear. People, the crowds have come. What's this noise? And all of you don't speak in all these languages. And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. So they're not drunk. It's not that. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, an interesting study, I just want to encourage you, go read the, go read the, the letter of Joel in the Old Testament. Joel is the story of, of just uh, pestilence. Uh, they, they had locusts. They had all kinds of various kinds of locusts. Didn't just eat the crops. It ate the bark off trees. I mean, and in the midst of that, Joel comes up with this prophecy that is speaking way forward to after Christ's death and resurrection that Peter pulls out of this passage and says, this is what is going on here. And he says, this is what Joel says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I have to stop again on this. <laughs> if you're okay with these stoppages, in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit came on special individuals, special servants, special needs, the building of the tabernacle, on the, the, the craftsmen that were going to work on to have skill and ability. The Holy Spirit came on these special people. Now we're in a new covenant, a new day, and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, was poured out, and is here for us today on all flesh, all, all of us that come, give our lives to Christ. He says, your sons 
and your daughters shall prophesy. Men and women are going to speak up for God. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And then on my men servants and on my maid servants, these in those days they were the slaves. They're the servant people. Doesn't matter. So it wasn't about the king or whatever your status was. All flesh is going to receive this power of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And then he says, I'm going to show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. Now, this is some odd stuff here. But then he's, then he's, he's taking Joel's prophecy, and he's speaking even further past this day that Peter's speaking in to the end times that we talk about Christ is going to be returning. He's coming back. One day he went up into heaven, and one day he says he's going to come back just the same way that he went. And this says when he does this, the sun, verse 20, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then he says this, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. So that's all of us. All of us that hear the message of Christ, that Christ died for us. He loves us. He came to save us. And when we call on him, he's going to respond and come and save us. And that salvation, that salvation is then your story and when he really does trans transform you and change you and bring hope and healing into your life and health and spiritual health, you're not going to, you can't, you won't be able to contain that inside yourself. You've, you've got to share it. So then he goes on, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Now they all knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. The people there knew, knew him and they knew him by Jesus of Nazareth. You know, the Bible's full of the, the terminology, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, Jesus Christ can. And he's a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Peter just tells the truth. He says, look, when he came into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, remember when they laid palm branches on the road and he was on a donkey riding in? There was, there was uh, Lazarus there that Jesus had raised from the dead. There were blind people that, he, that he'd helped see. There were lame people that were jumping around and, and running. And there were children that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. There were people that were healed and they didn't even, we don't even need, have a full list. They witnessed this before Jesus was crucified and Peter's telling them about it but he's speaking a whole lot different than before the crucifixion. Remember, he's, he, he's the one that denied Jesus. I don't even know. Weren't you with this Jesus of Nazareth? The servant girls asked him, and he says, no, I don't even know him. And then he begins to call curses down on himself. Now here he is standing up with boldness, telling them who this Jesus is. And he, then he's going to tell them what they did with Jesus. He says, him been delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, it was God's plan. He said, but you have taken by lawless hands and you've crucified him and you've put him to death. But whom God raised up, 
God has raised him up and he's having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Jesus was never going to be in the grave. He was going to rise from the dead. That was the prophecy that was told and it happened. And David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at the right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. He's talking about Jesus. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And then he goes on, and he's again quoting the Old Testament. He says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Now he's talking about David, you know, the one that killed the lion. And, the, and he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And he, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, which is hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. And it's this Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. And therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, that, out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, those two words are important. It's a good study on that because that Lord means he made him master. And Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah. He's trying to tell these people, this is the Messiah that you have been looking for. He has come, he has died, he has risen from the dead. That's who you crucified. And we know that the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. We're waiting for him to come back. They're waiting for him to come the first time. Peter's saying to these people, no, this is the Messiah this is the Lord. Now, when they heard this, the people listening, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? They were getting it. They were hearing that this Jesus is this Lord, and he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. They crucified him. Then what are we got to do? And Peter says to them, you just repent. In other words, turn away from the way you've been going and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And 3,000 people came to Christ when they heard this. 3,000. Can you imagine if we were in Minot and down at Oak Park preaching the gospel and telling them this story and all of a sudden they're saying, what should we do? And 3,000 people give their lives to Christ and are radically changed and converted. Now he didn't stop there for this. You know, you, you would probably be glad of this. It says in many other words, 
So in my, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, do a long sermon here. So some of you might like that. We need to keep some sermons short sometimes. And with many other words, he testified and he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then a verse of scripture that we love here at Calvary is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. They did four things when they came to Christ. When they were committed themselves to Christ, they made sure that they studied the, the word of God. They studied the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped together. They did what we're doing here, what we're going to do after the service, and have, they broke bread together. Now, that can be having a meal together, or it can be having communion together. And they prayed together. Four things. So there's the story of chapter 2. There's still a little bit more of going on there where they continue daily in one accord. I'm going to stop here and just say that Peter stood up. He shared his, his, his story. He shared the story of Christ, but he was sharing it from a heart that had been changed and converted and now empowered to speak boldly. He knew what he was talking about. And so I want to just suggest to you today and asking you the question, will you tell your story? If you, haven't, if you know Christ, if you've accepted him, has he radically changed you? And, and even in the Sunday school class this morning, we're talking about sometimes looking back. It's important to look back, look back at the time when Christ reached out to you, changed your life, converted you. And that story is a story that needs to be told with people who don't yet know Christ even told to the family that you have, the children that you have. Like last week, what are you going to tell your children? Are you going to tell them your story? Will you tell your story? I'm always challenged with that with our own kids. Now our kids are grown. We have a 42-year-old, uh, the oldest of our four children. Can't believe that. But what are we telling them? And then what are we telling the grandchildren? Pauline and I are challenged by this. And we, we, we need to pray more, and we do pray, but we need to pray more for our children and grandchildren. And our prayer is, help us to be a witness, to tell our story, to, to be reminded of where Christ brought us, that in 1986, when our marriage was on the rocks, and, and, and I was a broken person, and a church was reaching out to me, just like this church, that I finally went after constant invitations, not just by them, but by so many in the Christian community that were telling me their story of their redemption, of their healing. And it, and it was years, it was like several years of this going on. And when I finally went and I found myself in the front of the church, don't know how my legs got there, but I ended up there. And, uh, and uh, September 7th, I didn't want to tell the total truth about everything. So I kind of told them I was in a tough spot and struggling. And But September 14th, I went back and I went forward. And I tell you what, then I told them what my real problems were, that I was struggling with drinking and I, I was in debt, terribly in debt. 
and I needed prayer. And they, they just gave me so much confidence. They began, each one of them, the elders and their elders' wives, and they were around us, and they were telling their story. They were telling us where they came from. They were telling us that how many years ago that they'd been delivered and changed. It can never get old, and I know I'm standing here. I've already told you these things. It doesn't get old. It doesn't get old to me, and it shouldn't get old to you. It's a story of redemption. This Jesus, whom, whom they crucified, who my own sin caused the crucifixion, he's the one, he's the Lord, he's the master, and he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, and all who believe in him and put their trust in him, he will come and make his home in us and change us and radically change us. So when Peter wrote his first letter in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, he says this, now depending on your translation, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but I want you to set apart Christ as Lord. They use the word sanctify, set apart. I want you to set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. But then do it with meekness, which is strength under control, and do it with fear, a healthy fear of God, that it was, it's God's, it was what God has done and what God continues to do. That's what's brought the change. And as I looked at that this week, I was considering uh, one of the old gentlemen I like to read, an old Englishman, John Henry Jowett. I remember when I read these guys, they're old language, but he says, the finest reason a man can give for a spiritual hope is a spiritual experience. What I have seen, what I have heard, what I have felt, what I have known, that's my experience. So as we look at this and as you consider this, if you are going to Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, and if you are always going to be ready to give a defense for the, for the change that Christ has brought in your heart, and the reason for the hope that you have, the hope that's in you, doing it with meekness and in the fear of the Lord, it's what you've seen, it's what you've heard, it's what you've felt, it's what you've known, and each of us has a story. Les and Jackie have uh, agreed to become members of the church, and uh, which we praise the Lord for. Now, they've still got to go through the interview process. So let me tell you about that. And if you don't see them come back, you'll know that they don't want to go through the interview process. But the interview process that we have as elders is to say, Listen, Jackie, would you tell us your spiritual journey? Would you tell us your story? Would you tell us where you met the hope of the, in the Lord and how the Lord changed you? Would you tell us that journey? Your ups and your downs, your struggles, when you fell, when you fell away from him, when you came back to him, how you stayed strong in him. All those things help us as elders know how to best pray for Lesson Jackie and also say, man, these guys love the Lord and we're going to know how best to stand with them. It's a testimony, it's, but it's their story, not ours, not mine, not anybody else's. It's yours and yours alone. And I know that they're in their neighborhood sharing their story, inviting people to the, to the, to the Lord. So a vital testimony. It's what you know. It's what you've seen. 
And uh, Jowett goes on to say, a vital testimony is invincible. It's invincible. The argument of a redeemed life is unassailable. Seeing the man that was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You're going to see that in Acts 4.14. When they saw the man healed, well, he's healed. We saw before he was healed. How do you speak against that? And you see what you want in your community is to reach out to people that are struggling. Bring them this message of hope. They say, what must we do? They say, well, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they do that, then they're going to share their testimony with their friends, their story, what redeemed them, what they've seen, what they've felt, what they've known. The, war, the word of the Lord is near you. The Bible tells us in Romans 10.8, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. The Old Testament says, See, I've set before you life and good, death and evil. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's out of Romans. Paul wrote that. Yeah, and, and, and as Peter was quoting Joel, in, in Acts 2.21, and, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, we've got a message to take to people. And I'm standing up here today, and I can say what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He said that in the beginning of Romans. Why? Because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now, can you believe that? Can you share your story, knowing that you're sharing the power of God for the salvation of everyone who does believe? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know too much about the Bible. No, you just have to know the Lord. You know him. You accept him. You ask him into your life. But then he wants you to get hungry for the word, hungry for the Lord. And that's why he's finishing out here in this last verses I wrote, uh, read in Acts, that after many other words, and they gladly received, 3,000 got saved. They were they continued in the, in the teaching of the word and in the fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers, and they kept growing. And there was more added to their number daily of those that were being saved. So you don't just stop when you accept him. You dig in. You dig in, and, and he gives you confidence. On, on Wednesday night, uh, in the prayer night, we were talking about the principle of waiting. The principle of waiting. Because sometimes we think, I don't have the strength to do it. I don't, I don't have the courage. I'm not like Pastor Nigel who stands up here every Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that. Well, no, you're not me. You're never meant to be me. And, and, but you're you. And your story is going to be as powerful as my story told in your context want to encourage you with that. And you say, well, I don't have the courage. Well, the principle of waiting is that we talked about on Wednesday night, for those of you who are here or those of you who listen online, is Isaiah 40, 31. 
Isaiah 40, 31, he says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Sometimes in the study of the word, it's not about reading or reading all this stuff. No, it's getting into the Bible and seeing a verse and then let that sink in and wait on that. What are you saying here, God? And you just sit and wait. And then he says, what? Your strength will be renewed. It'll be renewed like the eagles, he says. He says, they'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's where your strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. It comes from him. And it, can, it comes when you sit and wait for him to come and pour into your life. What does that change mean, that renewing the strength we talked about on Wednesday? It means it actually alters your strength. It actually revives you, increases your strength, restores that which is decayed and tired. And I mentioned, if you were listening on Wednesday night, that the founder of this denomination, A.B. Simpson, who was a sickly man, who God touched supernaturally and gave him, gave him strength and healed him many times, three distinct times. And it was said of him that, it, that because he was a man that knew how to wait, he was a man devoted to the word. He was a man that got radically saved. It said he could do the work of seven men. Now that was a sickly man, a, a man who as a child was sick. But God in his supernatural way gives him strength and enables him, you to teach and minister. Now this last couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, there was a great servant of God, Ravi Zacharias, that passed away. And I got an email immediately from Sherry Corner. She said, you know, Ravi was out here to speak years ago when he was a young man. And uh, Doris, uh, who's not here today because she's sick and we're praying for her, she said, yeah, I remember him coming. And Sherry says, yeah, I was just a little girl then. Apparently, he was late getting here. And so when he showed up at the church, Pastor Dave and Tim said he's going to give him a bad time. He's, you know, because he was late, gave him 15 minutes. You've got 15 minutes, Ravi Zacharias. Now, can you imagine Dave Dunham now looking back going, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just say, why don't you just spend the whole afternoon? Ravi Zacharias. So I don't know if you've heard about his death or know him. Um, he was Christian Mission Alliance, uh, licensed with us. Um, I've been listening to his messages again. It's his story. He was a man who, who Jowett's words, the finest reason a man can give for a spiritual hope is a spiritual experience. What he, he shares, what he's seen, what he, what he witnessed, what he felt, what he knows. And it's, it, you have to admit that when Jowett writes that the argument of a redeemed life like Ravi Zacharias is unassailable. Because they saw a man who was healed. A, a, a guy uh, that went to Youth for Christ as a teenager that was confused. Um, he, walked, he said when he walked forward to accept Christ, that he was, even that was confusing. He said he was the only person that went forward. Thousands, thousands of people were in attendance. And then following that, he got in a depression and he took a whole bunch of poison and ended up getting into the hospital, almost died at 17 years of age. And a man, a Youth for Christ man came along with a Gideon Bible and shared Christ with him and 
Rabbi Zacharias bowed his knee and got radically saved. And I want you to see a video that we showed on Wednesday night uh, at our prayer meeting, but I want you to see that today and just hear his voice. Think now, he's with the Lord. He's in no more pain. He died of cancer, a rare cancer in his spine. And, uh, but listen to the video and I'll come and close. the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see him die, I would but see a little part of that great love which like a fire is always burning in his heart. You are valuable to God. You are unique and a composite fashioned in the image of God for a particular purpose. What it means to be human is to be created in the image of God. What it means to find your destiny is to find your creator who has created you and why he has made you for a purpose. So in general terms, the Imago Dei, in particular terms, it's not who you are alone that defines you, but whose you are. That is my prayer. To me, the person of Jesus Christ provides that coherent answer in the incarnation. He identifies my malady, provides for my malady, draws me into that relationship, takes me through the process of suffering, shows me the purity of Jesus himself in the way he taught and lived. And ultimately in rising again from the dead, he teaches me that time is merely a temporal thing. We are here for eternity and he alone is able to take us through the cross past the open tomb into the very presence of God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. There is no other worldview that will give you corresponding and coherent answers to the four questions of life with logic, consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto yeah. the others. He describes your heart. He provides for your malady. He equips you in suffering. He puts meaning into every moment in history. And he conquers death through the resurrection from the grave. Surrender to him. Love him. Follow him. Serve him. Live for him. And take his message wherever you go. Can't say it any better than that, can you? I hope you heard the message today. And just so I finish with the question that I started with. Will you tell your story? Do you have a story? Have you accepted Christ? Do you know him? He loves you so much. This Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth. He is both Lord and he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And he's poured out his spirit that all of us that come to him can be empowered and given strength. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
Father, I just pray, and we know that there is nothing finer than a vital testimony, a testimony of a changed life, someone that has seen and heard and felt and known, just like Ravi Zacharias, and there's many of us in here that have that testimony. Lord, refresh us with it, because the, the argument of a redeemed life is unassailable. When people see us healed, standing amongst them. There's nothing they can say against it. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be a church that would be wanting to share our story, empowered to share our story. And if we feel weak, that we will just sit and wait and our strength will be renewed like the eagle, be invigorated, empowered, changed, healed strengthened. So Father, I just pray for our congregation here, our brothers and sisters here today, that we would go from this place today after our fellowship of celebration of Gerald and Mary. Lord, that we will go out of here wanting to share the story and believing that there's someone out there like Ravi that is waiting to hear the story. Clothe us with zeal as a cloak, Lord. Help us to go and be your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.